Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, July 16th, 2023, called The Family Prayer, Our Father's Holy Name, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're beginning a new series here. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, as I said. I want to give you a couple of illustrations um, about something. You know, it's, um, it's interesting. If you ask a pastor, two of the hardest and easiest uh, sermons to preach are Christmas and Easter. They're super easy, right? On the one hand, it's the kind of the story tells itself. And they're the biggest, hugest, pinnacle moments in, in Christian theology. God becomes a, a human being in order to save us in Christmas. That's the whole message, right? You know that. It's not Santa Claus, right? God becomes a human being in order to save fallen humanity in a broken world. And then he fulfills that in his death and resurrection. So that victorious Easter. So everybody knows the story, Right? So they're a trick. They're tricky because they're awesome, but people will check out on you. And so I, this is why I love doing things like this in the summer. Periodically, I'll do it. I'll go through Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed. or Because you've heard it so many times, you can just zone it out. So I don't want you to do the Lord's Prayer and just go, yeah, I've said that thousands of times. Let me give you, I want to give you a couple of examples on why this is important. So Teresa and I over the years have had the joy of, in various settings, when we were in Japan, we are in Seattle, uh, Portland, we got a chance to do drama. And so to be able to, like in a second language, right, do it for kids in Japan, and I was rewriting and we were directing, and then for a, a middle school in Portland, we did that, and Seattle Lutheran High School, and a lot of times it was musical theater, and sometimes not, just regular drama, but you know how it goes, you need auditions, and so you have these kids, they're not professional actors, they're not grown-ups or adults, but they're teenagers, adolescents or teenagers, and, and they would audition. And this was always the hardest part, because, you know, who do you give the lead to, and who do you give that key singing part to, and who do you do? And so when a kid is like 14, and they audition, you, we had to be really careful, because a lot of the times, you'd get a kid in there, and they would audition, and you'd just be blown away. Holy cow. I mean, this is amazing. This kid is great. And you would give them the part, and they never got any better. They, they were as good as they were going to get at the audition because they would not let you coach them. They refused to let you coach them. So you, you're sitting there, and sometimes another kid would audition, and it wasn't perfect, and it wasn't great, but man, they, wanted, they really wanted to do it and really wanted to do it. So we learned over the years how do you be, because the key is, I want to get better. The kid who auditioned well didn't want to get better. They thought they were better. They already thought they were. They just weren't. You couldn't coach them. I'll give you another example. So when I was in college, so I got a, I, I was a letterman in college, just so you know. <laughs> in tennis. This was, by the way, no big deal at Concordia University in Portland, Oregon. Because this is how I made the tennis team. I'm a freshman. My roommate comes bombing into the room and he goes, do you own a tennis racket? I said, yes, I do. You're on the team. Come on with me. So they were like, 
having a match and there was nobody to play the number six singles position. And so I went out there and I won, which was then I'm in, right? I have a, do you know I have a small competitive gene? Do you know that? I have a small competitive gene. Anyway, it was, um, and what was cool was it was a blast, but I really was not a tennis player. But I don't like being embarrassed and I like to win. And so I went to the guys on the team and they were kind enough to mentor me. And, and, and then the third one, let me give you a third example. Third example is in marriage. I coach, now obviously, when people come to me for pre-marriage counseling and planning their wedding, obviously at the heartbeat of everything I do is that Christ is the center of our relationship. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that and that, that third strand is the key thing to everything. But then when we get into the weeds, but what skills do you need? And I will say, it's communication. We know this there is no debate on this, that marriages fail because of poor communication. 86% of all marriages fail because of communication. And you'll hear things about, well, it's about money or child rearing. No, no, it's about talking about those things. It's figuring out how you do those things. So I will talk to couples, because my big soapbox about this is, when you go into your marriage, you should have a plan for it. Very few marriages have a plan. This is how I, it's going to be great. It's the single most important relationship in your life, beyond your relationship with Christ, is your marriage, right? I mean, that's the idea. And people, and I go, so how are you investing in that? I don't know, you know. And so communication is really the key when we learn to communicate. And so here's why I tell you those three stories, drama, tennis, communication, and marriage. What's the big deal? It's just a drama. Give 10 guys a script, stand up there and talk. It's just tennis. What's the big deal? Here's a ball. Hit it over the net. It's just communication. We talk all the time. Here's the thing. You want to be in a good at it, or do you want to stink at it your whole life? I mean, this is really kind of my point. This is why we spend time talking about some of these things that we have heard a thousand times, 10,000 times. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, I, what I'm going to say to you right off the bat is, it is hard to evaluate what a tremendous treasure this is that it has been given into our hands. I mean, when you think about the difference, you know, kind of humanity dealing with God, that God would bend so low and say, hey, when you want to talk, talk like this. I want to show you a video. We'll illustrate it. Well, I want to turn down all the lights. Get it as dark in here as you can because it's kind of a dark video. The scene here is from The Chosen, and this is made up. Jesus was never arrested by the Romans that we know of or brought in for questioning. Anyway, in the chosen, he's brought in for questioning, and the disciples are terrified of what's happened to him. And Jesus returns to, his, to the group. Suppose I should not be surprised that you would spot me. Hi, Iman. Oh, Rabbi, 
Are you safe? Does anyone follow you? Yes, I'm safe. And they just wanted to talk. I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm glad, Matthew. Just talk? Quintus wanted to talk, yes. The Romans, they don't find me much of a threat, which is fine. Hopefully that'll change soon. So, what were you doing out here? Praying, John. Remember, there's a big event to prepare for. Rabbi, with all due respect, you couldn't have told us that you were back first? You were grabbed by Roman soldiers with weapons. We were all worried sick. Did I not tell you that I would be back? And to keep planning? We're all going to have to learn how to do this, regardless of what's happening, good or bad. Things are only going to get more difficult. You can't just shut down when you're fearful. And what are you going to do when I'm no longer here? Yes, we are still figuring this out. Yes, but we can do better. We, we will do better. Rabbi, Philip said the baptizer gave his followers a prayer in addition to the daily traditional prayers. Perhaps you could do the same. Yes, I'd like to learn more about what you're saying when you're out alone. Now, now you're behaving like true students. This is what I like to see. And prayer is the first step in getting the mind and the heart right. It's why you see me go to it so often. So teach us to pray like you do. Please. When we pray, we want to be sure to first start with acknowledging our Father in heaven and his greatness. So you can say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we always want to be sure to do God's will and not our own. So we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't know if any of you have seen that scene. It's, it's pretty neat. I mean, it's, we don't know about him being arrested by that, but we do know that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And you know, if you watch The Chosen, and what we know about Jewish men in that era, these, these guys are devout. I mean, they have much of the Old Testament um, memorized. They, they know it from heart. They can recite psalm after psalm. Excellent. And so they can do many of those things uh, just, just by memory. And so, and, and clearly they know how, they are those who are practicing their faith. So there are daily traditional prayers, as you noted there, different times of the day. And then there are times when you're at synagogue and times when you're at temple and times when you're with family at Shabbat and so forth. They had, so they prayed all the time. So what are they saying? And this is why I told you those illustrations. They want to be better. They see something in Jesus that says, that's different. How you're praying is different. It's not just kind of a formula or a ceremony or a ritual. There's something going on there. Would you please teach us? This is why, by the way, I mean, we pray this prayer every time we're in worship. I mean, partly because we're humble enough when Jesus says, when you pray, say this. So we go, okay. Let's say that. But what is he saying? 
What is he inviting us to say? What are we learning to know? Um, so I love this. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this too, small catechism. If you went through confirmation, you got a book like this. And, and so it's a way, by the way, quick historical note. Small catechisms were written by Martin Luther to give to families. The idea was this, this would just rest in your family home and that you'd look at it every day, every night for devotions. What does it teach about baptism? What does it teach about being forgiven? What does it teach about the Holy Spirit or the person of Jesus or the Lord's Prayer or the Ten Commandments? That was the idea. Did you know that at the time of the Reformation, only about 10 to 15% of the ordained clergy, the priests, could read? They had it all memorized, right? Latin, the Mass, they had it memorized, or they would chant a bunch of psalms, and they had a lot of that, but they couldn't read. Luther was just appalled, just appalled. So he wrote this for families, but priests were using, and he wrote another one called the Large Catechism for pastors and priests and so forth. And what was really interesting is Luther became really a champion of education, public education, education for everyone. And the reason, you know why? Why? So it was men and women, boys, girls, everybody. He wanted everybody to read. Why? So you could read the Bible. So you could read the Bible for yourself, that you didn't have to have someone else tell you what it meant or said. Anyway, it's just a little background. But what I love on this, and if you went through confirmation class, you learned these kinds of things. So when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, here's how it goes. And here's our, our famous Lutheran line, what does this mean? Right? So when we say, our Father who art in heaven, what does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him, as dear children ask their dear father. Now, please understand, it's not supposed to be misogynistic, male, female, it's not about that. It's about this loving parent, right? The loving parent, as a dear father could be. Now, quick aside. I always teach this in confirmation, and I'm being real serious with you here. There is a sensitivity to this in that not everybody here on this earth had a great father. That is honest, or a great mom either, to be honest. We're broken by sin, aren't we? And, but some homes and some parents are sometimes more broken than others. And so you have to be careful when you teach this, because some people hear this poorly. I can't trust my father, or I can't come to my father. You get what I'm saying? And so when we teach this, we're careful, and we're tender, but we're still saying, so number one, if you're blessed with a good dad, and when I say good dad, did I say perfect dad? Yeah, good luck finding that. I certainly wasn't. Still, still am not. Um, but boy, I long to follow my Savior, and long to, you know. But some people were abused, abandoned, severely hurt, sorely hurt by their by their fathers. And so yet, we're, what a blessing that we're able to say, but here you have one who will not, who will not abandon you, who is faithful, who will provide. Okay, so anyway, just so you know, just an aside on that, we're not tone deaf to this, but what a cool line that is. Believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father, the author of Hebrews has that beautiful line in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who is tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's what this is. 
approach with confidence. Come with confidence. Here's the second thing. The first petition then, so it's organized in petitions. That's an introduction. Holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. And that's kind of churchy language, right? Holy means set apart. Set apart for something special, right? We set that apart for something special. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray that it may be kept holy among us also. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we, as the children of God, there that is again, lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. It's really tied to the second commandment too, right? First commandment, no other gods. Second commandment, don't take God's name in vain, right? Don't misuse God's name. And here's how we explain that one. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, by the name of God, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So if you're following along here, here's how I want to unpack this, because I want this to bless you, that when you pray this prayer, you can be overwhelmed by it in a really powerful way, that you can use it in the manner and the joy which God intends for you to have it, and for it not to be just a rote piece of memory work that we just uh, toss away. So here's, here we go. Here's the three things that I want to talk about, in, and go back to number one. Sorry, Ty. I did kind of jump around there. Forgive me. So those are the three things. When we talk about our Father and head, what does that mean? God is accessible. God is approachable. God is awesome. And if you're writing notes, you could say powerful. You know, coming up with three words that are all start with the letter of A, you know. Sorry, that's a dumb preacher's joke. Um, you know, one of the great lies that was perpetrated on families uh, back in the 70s and 80s was uh, dads or moms, too, as moms enter the workplace. It really doesn't matter how much time you spend with your kids. It has to be quality time, right? You remember that line? That is a lie. We have all the data. you got to spend time. You know, and that's how we excused ourselves for trying to make a bazillion dollars and make a name for ourselves and ignore our kids. And so, and because we'll just spend that quality time. If I just get an hour in the evening to read a book with them, if I could just do a devotion every night at the dinner table or something, I'll have quality time. And it doesn't work. you got to spend time. And that's what I love about this. So when I talk about and, and I'm not trying to build myself up. I, what I did was that this formed me as a pastor. This formed me. I don't, it's the best. If you want to meet with me, I will always set an appointment with you. If you text me, if you call me, I'll respond to you. I will call you back. We'll talk. If you drop in, and so it's the best of all things because I'm, I have a busy life, but I love to fit people in. You call me, I'll set a time. We've got it. If you drop in on me, that's a hit or miss. But if I'm not meeting with someone, you know, formally, like I already have an appointment, I will stop what I am doing and I will meet with you. Why? I'm driven by this idea. Because God is available. Do you think God in heaven says, please take a number? Or do you get a busy signal? Or I'm occupied? Or I'm out? Or I'm in study, so don't interrupt me. And I get why some guys, some pastors close their doors, don't interrupt me, I can't do it. I am a huge believer that grace is actually an interruption. 
Grace happens in the interruptions of life because you don't expect it. It's not deserved. It's not earned. It just happens. And so it takes me by surprise. And so interruptions are where grace happens. Grace fills in those spots. My life is a big interruption, which praise God. I'm thankful for that. And it is pretty cool. This is why sometimes I can come in at five in the morning and get, you know, a couple hours of work in and study or something like that uninterrupted because I can get a bunch done. But once that day starts, if you call or someone from the community or someone comes in, we're available. That's reflective of this idea in the prayer. You have a God who is available, who does not tell you to take a number or to wait in line. Secondly, we have a God who is approachable. I said it today when we do the confession, and I really appreciate, I like this. I grew up in the church in traditional worship where we never explained the confession. We just said the same confession each time. And at 11, you get a little bit, it's kind of cool. We, we tailor those confessions to hit what we're talking about today. We kind of focus in on those things. But when we start, when I'm leading you in confession, I like to stop and say, you know what? The confession is not a time where we're trying to, you to feel like you're dirt. We're not sitting here trying to say that you stink, you're horrible, you're worthless, you should feel rotten about yourself. In my sin, I'm plenty aware of how rotten I am, okay? I'm already broken. But what we are saying, so we're not saying that, because you know, every, this is why I love the focus that you have here in this church. When you look up there, every time the devil wants to whisper in your ear that you are worthless or of no value, you just look up there. And you know what you're worth. You're worth God in the flesh taking your place. That's what you're worth. So, we stop and we say, this is not about making you feel rotten. It's about being honest. Now, here's the thing. Honesty is a hard thing in our culture today, isn't it? Shooting straight. It's hard now to have somebody in your life who loves you enough to really be honest. It's like the old cliche, right? Does this dress make me look fat? Right? And I'm, I'm trying to apply that to a whole variety of things. Did I act with integrity there? Did I treat that person the way I should? Did I deal in, in that situation as I would? And for someone to love you enough to be honest. And this is where this prayer is such a blessing. Our Father in heaven. Because here's what's happening here. So you know when people come to my new member class within the first, first or second time when they're new here, they will often say to me, what do we call you? Because people hear me call me a whole bunch of different things. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like nasty things. But I mean, what do I call you? Do I call you pastor? Do I call you Pastor Dinger? Do I call you Pastor Jonathan? Do I call you Jonathan? What do I call you? And I tell people, look, like with Rasmussen's, right? so with your kids, when your kids are around, I'd like you to call me Pastor Dinger because I want you to model that for your kids. It kind of defines the relationship, Right? I think that's a good thing. But when you and I are talking, my mom named me Jonathan. I'm good with that. Now, Corey or Shawnee may not be able to bring themselves to call me that because of how you were brought up. And that's okay, too, because it's a defined relationship. God is doing that here, too. It's a defined relationship in which we are approachable. It's, we can come to God. He gives us access. So, But what he also says, but when... 
I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to do it in a manner that loves you, that's truly love. And this is the thing. You can take honesty from someone if you know they would lay down their life for you. If you know they would pour themselves out for you, you can take it. You may not love it, but you can take it. But wouldn't you agree with me that in our world today, something that we probably need almost as much as anything is someone who will be honest with us. Because if I'm about to drive off the cliff, I hope you love me enough to tell me you're driving off the cliff. So that's the kind of God we have here. That's what's being established here. Our Father in heaven, as dear children can approach their dear... But here's what he's doing. He's defining it. You're not the boss. That's the boss. That's the father. That's the parent. You're the child. And, and then there's a challenge because as children, then we decide to take on that role and be childish and act in, in that manner. And so, but as dear children that approach their parents... Here's the third one, and here's the third one. Have you heard this uh, radio ad about probably? I can probably make the green from here. Right? Or the two people that are getting a tattoo, the, the girlfriend and boyfriend are getting a tattoo, will probably stay together while they're putting on the right? So you hear this probably. It's a horrible word. Probably is kind of horrible. And, we, and that's not what we have with God. Well, God can probably do this. God can, will probably listen to what we are, care about. We have a God who is all in, fully committed, not probably or maybe, but absolutely can. Second thing, hallowed be your name. So, you know, this is such an interesting one because it means set apart. When, I, um, when I'm talking about this um, with confirmation kids, I talk to them about using God's name well, especially when we get to the second commandment. And when I'm teaching the confirmation kids, usually they're about at the age where they're about to go into high school. Sometimes I have high school kids, and that's great too. And some of those kids will go to public high school. And our high school, and our school is not immune from this, the use of bad language. I don't know any place anymore that's immune from this. I'm actually continually startled. And I always am reminded when I go play softball in the City League of how coarse and degrading and bad our language is in the public square. The use of, and maybe I'm naive, I'm a pastor, maybe, and I, but I am astonished at how gross and coarse language is. I'm telling you, one of these things is, I tell high school kids this all the time. When you go to high school, you go to college, if you resolve to use God's name well, you will never, you will, people will know. People will notice when you use the name well. You're not using it as a swear word. You're not using it as some way to degrade or demean someone else. So I love this, this one here, this part of the petition. I want your name to be holy. It doesn't mean I never use it. This is where I believe my Jewish brothers and sisters got this wrong. In the time of the exile, so they lost the temple, like northern kingdom, southern kingdom, temples destroyed, and the, the rabbinic community stopped and said, they finally stopped and said, okay, we blew it. We are to blame. 
we got to get our act together. We were not righteous enough. We did not adhere to the Torah well enough. We did not obey well enough. How do we do it? And they started working their way through the commandments. How do we do this? Well, they get to the one on the name, and they resolved, you know what? We're going to fix that one. Don't misuse God's name. We just won't say it anymore. And, and that's too bad. So instead of saying the personal name of God, which was given to Moses in the burning bush, the four letters, right, Yahweh, that one, instead of using that, which we translate as Lord in English, what they would do is they would say Adonai or Elohim. They would say a different word. So we won't offend God by misusing his name. Well, you can offend God by, you can misuse God's name a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. And that's so sad to me because in this petition, Jesus is saying, your name is set apart not to not use, but to use well. And so here's what he's really inviting us to do. We should fear and love God so that we call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Parents, what would you say is one of the two or three greatest joys you have as a parent? And you don't have to talk. I mean, you, you can talk to me if you want. I don't care. Uh, one of our great joys... Like, go to Disneyland, watch our kids at ages 7, 8, 9, have a blast. It is so fun to watch your kids have fun. Agreed? Isn't that great? What's another one? Your kid succeeds at something. They get an award. They get a medal. They get a prize. They stand on the podium, whatever it is. Isn't that great, parents? Is that great? You know what's better? I mean, you can argue. You, I'm happy to debate this. You know what's the best? When your kid wants to talk to you. Instead of having to drag it out, pry it out, would you please speak to me? Would you share with me something beyond, okay, you know, something. Give me something. Have a real conversation. There's no greater joy as your kids grow, especially into adulthood, where you sit down and you actually have real conversations about real things that matter and impact their lives and lives. It's the best. That relationship with my adult kids, that's the best. Don't you think God longs for that too? Don't you think, if that would bring me such joy, don't you think our Heavenly Father is longing for that same thing? Am I wrong on this, parents? It is so great when your kids come and they share and they do these three things. Because here's what it is. Luther says, pray, praise, and give thanks. And here's the prayer. Why? Because when they're talking to us, we get to know their heart. And when we're talking with them, they get to know our heart. That's why God longs for us to pray, to praise. There is, this is another thing. There is nothing cooler than when I discover that my kid said something cool about me behind my back when I wasn't present, when they actually said something nice about me to someone else, said, boy, I really appreciate that about my dad or about my mom. That is a cool thing. That's what God's calling for, and to give thanks. And I am thankful for the time they spent with me and for what it is. Those simple things that we can all rejoice in, God is longing for the same thing. And what a blessing that that takes place in worship. Prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. But it doesn't stop here. It happens all the time. Because in the end, prayer is far more about that other great gift, which is the gift of listening. We think prayer is all about talking, saying the right words, and saying in the right way. Prayer is not about that. Prayer is about listening. It's that when you're sharing, you can know that he is listening. And then in turn, that we long to hear his voice, that he might guide us according to his good and perfect will. Those are the gifts of this prayer as we approach our Father and we use his name well. To God be the glory. Praise God. Amen. 
If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm -hmm.